So today we're reading from the book of Romans, um, starting from chapter 12, verse 9, on page 1762 of your Pew Bibles. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. 
Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Thanks, Ellie, and good morning once again. Now, if you missed it before, my name is Carl. I'm the pastor of the church here. Lovely to have you here with us today. If you are joining us for the first time this morning, uh, let me uh, bring you up to speed. We're working our way through the book of Romans. It's been a, a pretty epic series for us as a church. We have been working through Romans for what feels like most of this year, really. And we're coming towards the end of the book now. Last week, we looked at the first part of chapter 12. And we saw last week that that marked a transition point in the book of Romans, The first 11 chapters had kind of been about the theology of Romans, who God is and what he's done for us, who we are, what we're like, and what God has done for us. Then we get to these final few chapters in the book of Romans, and it's a transition. We move from the theology to the practice. We move from thinking about what God's done for us to how we're to live today. And today we're looking at chapters 12 and 13 together, the second part of chapter 12 and all of verse 13 together today. And before we get in, I just really want to tell you what we're going to look at today while I'm speaking here. I want to spend some time thinking about how we're to make sense of this bit of Romans. You see, there's a whole lot of instructions here, you might call them commands, do this, don't do that. And yet earlier in the letter to Romans, Paul had told us that the law has been fulfilled and that we've been given the spirit to guide us and help us. And so when we come to this section of Romans, we've got to have this question, why all these instructions? Why all these rules? What are we to make of them? So I hope that by the end of today, you're able to kind of answer that question. Why are these rules here and what are we to do with them? That's the foundation, essentially. I want to spend a fair bit of time laying that foundation with you. And then having done that, I want to have a look just briefly at kind of two of the two examples. We're going to have a look in in verses 14 to 21 of chapter 9 about living as Christians in a hostile world and dealing with the rules to bless those who persecute you. And then secondly, we're going to have a look at the example of how we might live in light of our government's authorities. So we've got a foundation to build first, that's how do we understand this section of the Bible and then two examples after that. And as with all foundations, we're going to spend a bit more time there. We're going to work on that uh, quite a lot today. So let's start with this idea. What are we to do with these rules? In our house, over the last year or so, we have been discovering the joy of playing board games together. We're a bit late to the party. It's never really been much of what we've done in our household. But over the last year or so, we've been learning that board games are a great thing to do together, especially for Gus, my six-year-old. He just loves playing board games with us. He recently got for his birthday a new one called Ticket to Ride, which is essentially a game about building train lines across North America and Canada. That's a pretty good game. I enjoy playing it as well. I wonder if you're into board games. Do you you enjoy playing a board game? I like them. I think that's clear. But the thing that holds me back a bit with board games is I hate learning the rules of a new board game. You you get that new board game and you open up the box and it looks fun. There's great little pictures and kind of little icons to use and all that sort of thing. It looks really fun, 
But you can't play the game. It doesn't make any sense until you've waded through those rules and instructions. And no matter how hard they work on trying to make them entertaining, reading the rules is difficult and complicated. You've got to go back over it and explain it to everybody else in the group. If it wasn't for having to learn the rules of board games, I think they'd be much more fun to play. I doubt I'm on my own here in terms of liking rules and instructions. Well, think about how you feel when you get a new device, like, for example, an oven. You get a new oven into your house, and it comes with a book of instructions, and the clock just blinks on that oven, and you know the only way you're going to be able to fix that is to read the instructions, and no one wants to do it. You just want to use the oven to cook a meal. None of us like following instructions or rules. So let me ask you another question then. Is living the Christian life, as we respond to God appropriately, if you boil it all down, is it just about following a set of rules? Is the Christian life like a board game? You learn the rules and then you follow them. What do you think? My gut feeling is that most of us want to push back on that. No, the gospel's not about rules, you'll say. It's all about transformation. And you might remember and point back to last week, to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So as Christians, do we print out a long list of rules and then just follow them steadfastly? Well, no, we we allow the gospel through the work of the Spirit to transform us. That's true, isn't it? That's how it works. So then why do we have so many rapid-fire, almost unlinked rules here in chapters 12 and 13 of Romans? Have a look down at Chapter 12, if you've got it open, cling to what is good, practice hospitality, do not take revenge, do not repay anyone evil with evil, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, do what is right, be subject to the governing authorities. We're led by the Spirit, chapter 8 tells us that. So why does Paul give us these rules? I want to start by saying what it can't possibly be as we answer this question, an impossibility that is, keeping the rules, they can't save you, can they? See, so far in Romans, we've learned time and time again that only faith in Jesus saves. Not our works. We're not saved, or our salvation is not guaranteed by following these rules. So why do we have them then? They're just optional. You know, like those yellow signs on the road when you're driving? optional ones, you know, they tell you the speed that they kind of recommend you go around the corner, but it's sort of optional, it doesn't matter if you do go a little faster, a little slower than those. Are these rules, yellow speed signs, options for us to pursue? I want to say no to that as well, because this is scripture, this is the word of God, it's not something that we can just take or leave, it's not optional. All scriptures God breathes, it's useful for teaching, correcting and rebuking. So what are we to make of these verses? that Ellie read to us. Well, here's a way forward that I want to propose for you this morning. I want to suggest that these verses help us test the transformation of our minds, that they act as guides or markers that help us in the process of having the gospel through the power of the Spirit transform our lives. 
these rules offer kind of like a framework. They're like checks and balances. And we need them because we live today in an age of sin. We still live in a broken world. We're not fully changed. Paul said at the start of chapter 12 to be transformed. And and that is, I think, how we're to live as Christians in the world. We are to be transformed. The Christian life is a life where our characters are transformed. That's the heart of what it's about. Not rules, but transformation. Spiritual transformation that spills over into how we live our lives, how we relate to each other, how we think about things. That transformation happens as the gospel takes root in our lives through the work of the Spirit. But it's not instantaneous. It takes time and it takes discipline and it takes work from us. If we live a transformed life, that means and shows that we're demonstrating what it it looks like to live in the new creation as we become more and more like Jesus. But, and and here's the but, I think, here's the big but for us in this areas of thinking. We still live in this world, don't we? We still live in this age. We still have the weight of sin on our shoulders. We live in a fallen and a broken and a corrupt world. And although we might be striving for transformation, that's the reality. We're still sinful. And because of that, Because we're still in the age of sin and brokenness, Paul helps us in the process of transformation by giving us some guidance. And that's what I think these verses are like. They're a bit like a roadmap or a guide that kind of like checks and balances for us. Because we still live in this age, we see things imperfectly. So we might think that the Spirit is calling us to live a life of wealth and luxury At the cost of others. Well, here we see that's not the case. That can't be the case. It would have to be our own selfishness speaking. Because the Spirit wants us to practice hospitality and love. I wonder maybe an illustration is helpful at this point as we work our way through this. Before I was a, a church pastor, I worked as a consulting engineer. And I often had to go and visit remote farms, some in the back of nowhere generally. I'd often fly into a capital city somewhere and I'd rent a car. And this was back in the time before our phones had GPS on them. So as you're renting your car, you'd pick up one of those TomTom navigation devices. I don't know if you remember them. You kind of had those suction caps in the back of them. You sort of spit on them and stick them onto the front windscreen. Pretty gross, really, but that's how they worked. I remember one night I was driving somewhere in outback Queensland. It was late and it was dark outside. I didn't know the roads. And that TomTom was kind of on the corner of the windscreen and it sort of mesmerized me in a sense. It showed all the different roads around me and it had a pink line that kind of directed you as to where you were to go. And I remember thinking that I really didn't even have to look outside of the windscreen. I could just look at the TomTom and just follow that pink line because as it bent to the left, if I steered the car around to the left, it kind of kept up with me. And if I steered, you know, as it bent to the right, steered to the right, I said, I don't even need to look out the window. I can just watch the pink line and follow that. Yeah, of course, that'd be stupid if that's what I did, wouldn't it? Ten minutes later, the TomTom had taken me off the main road onto a goat track. I'm sure many of you have been there before. No one would drive a car trusting purely in the guidance of the GPS alone. 
No, it's kind of what's happening in Romans. We have the Spirit, it's at work transforming us, so we know our way in this world. We know how to follow Jesus, how to discern God's will. Our minds are being transformed so that we can test and approve what God's will is. But because we live in this age, we still need a little bit of extra guidance. If nothing else, is to confirm that we're on the right track. And so we look out the window of the car, or in this case, we look down to the very words of God. And in these words, we see God's will for us, his people. Now, of course, the guidance in these chapters isn't comprehensive. We can't find a chapter and verse about every situation we might find ourselves in in the modern world. Not surprisingly, Romans doesn't tell us about the ethics of using mobile phones. But when we put these words together with our minds that are in the process of being transformed, I'm sure that we could then develop a Christian ethic for the use of mobile phones. I hope that makes sense then. That's kind of the foundation I want to lay with you this morning. These words are scripture. We must follow them. But we're not saved by them either. They help us while we work through the process of being transformed. They help us to live in light of what we one day will become. So having laid that foundation, then let's have a a look together at verses 17 to 19 of chapter 12. You'll find that on page 1762 of your Black Bibles. These are words about how we're to live as Christians in a hostile world. This is what Paul says. He says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. You see the instructions? Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Instead, as far as it is possible for you, live at peace with one another. Great instructions for us in our world today, aren't they? In years to come, I think we as Christians are going to find ourselves more often than not on the receiving end of persecution. How do we respond when that happens? Well, the answer is we respond like Jesus, don't we? Did you notice how much Paul sounds like Jesus as you're reading these words here? Paul says, bless those who persecute you. You see that there in verse 14? Jesus says in Matthew 6, bless those who curse you. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, Paul says in verse 17. Do not resist an evil person, says Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Live at peace, Paul says. Blessed are the peacemakers, says Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. If your enemy is hungry, feed him, says Paul. Jesus says, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. So where to be like Jesus? It's not easy though, is it? Most of us, when we've been wronged, we're just champing at the bit to kind of get revenge one way or another. That's because we're not fully what we one day will become. Sin's still at work. And so this guidance is so helpful and so necessary. Paul's reminding us practically to be transformed so that we'll know in our minds how to live a sacrificial life just like Jesus' life. I don't know how you feel about these words as we look at 
turning the other cheek today. Perhaps it'll have a little bit to do with your own experiences in life. I can't possibly know what all of you are going through this week. But for some of you, I I imagine that living with an enemy is really just an academic idea for you. The closest thing you have to an enemy is the neighbor's dog who barks at night when you're trying to sleep. But for some of us, our enemies might be very real. They might have hurt us terribly. If that's you this morning, these words are going to be far more than academic. They might sit very heavily with you. You may know someone who's suffered at the hands of someone else. You might have seen them be able to forgive that person. That's not weakness. That's the spirit at work in them. And Paul says that's how we as Christians are to live in a hostile world. And because it's so difficult to do, Paul includes it, I think, in this section of Romans. I think it is worth just pausing for a moment here to say that I think think it's careful how we read this passage. I don't think it means that Christians need to just put up with every source of evil ever done against them in this world. Paul's instructions here are for us not to seek revenge, but to leave room for God's wrath. As we'll see in the next verses, authorities have been established by God. I take it that would include in our world things like the court system and the police. They act as God's agents of wrath, Paul says. If you've been treated badly or hurt or wronged, Paul's instruction is to not seek revenge. I don't think that precludes you, though, from seeking the involvement of the police or the legal system. Let's take a look at these verses that speak about submitting to the authority of the government now. Our second example of uh, how we're to build on our foundation. Have a look with me at just the first two verses of chapter 13. It says this, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. The part of having transformed characters is that we will respect the authorities that have been established by God. I wonder if you think of our government as being established by God. If you think of our local council as being established by God. Or the authorities in your workplace as being established by God. It's particularly hard to do sometimes, isn't it? If we disagree with their policies or the things that they're trying to do. The Bible tells us that the authorities are established by God. Paul reminds us that God is sovereign in all things and his sovereignty extends to those in authority. We see this also in the book of Isaiah in chapter 40. I just want you to listen to these words as I read them to, to you. It says in verse 20, Do you not know and have you not heard? Isaiah is telling us what God is like. In verse 23 he says, He brings princes to naught. And reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, that he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. That God is sovereign in this world. He's in control over our local government, over our state, over our country. On that basis, Paul says, when we rebel against the authorities... We rebel against God. Now, of course, living in our world as we do today and with the Second World War kind of only a generation or two before us, 
this passage will often be a source of contention for us. We want to know about the exceptions. So what about those in power who seem so far removed to what God would want? People like Hitler and Pol Pot and Stalin. What about the exceptions? It's a good thing to think through as we read this. It's worth remembering at this point that what's Paul doing here? He's providing guidance on the character, on the ethics, on what a transformed Christian life will look like. That means there might be some exceptions to the rule and our transformed minds should be able to deal with that. Now, Paul, I don't think, is trying to address all of the potential exceptions laying a foundation for us. See, clearly the Bible would have us worship God above government. Multiple places we can go to in the Bible to see that. Let me just remind you of Acts chapter 4. There in Acts, Peter and John are called before the Sanhedrin, the kind of governing council of the day. They'd healed a man who was unable to walk and the Sanhedrin were worried about what that might mean for them. They knew Peter and John had done something amazing. They thought it might lead to a rebellion or disruption. So they call Peter and John back into their assembly and they tell Peter and John, don't speak or teach in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 4 verse 19, Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge, but as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So there are exceptions, of course, to the rule, aren't there? My hunch today, though, is not that we need to work out what to do in the case of an exception. I think we're quite good at doing that generally. But rather, we need to work out how to behave in light of the fact that our rulers today are there on account of God's authority. To keep thinking about what it means to pay our taxes in the full amount and to obey all the laws of the land, even those ones that we think are stupid or don't like. To work out what it means to give honour and respect as it's due. Paul ends chapter 13 reminding us that Jesus will soon return. Did you notice that as Ellie read it to us? With his coming is our complete transformation. And so Paul seems to be almost urging us in light of Jesus' imminent return, in light of our imminent full transformation, to start living as people who are like Jesus, living as people who will be like that in the new creation. The reality is we're not quite there yet. We're not what we will become. We still live in this world. We still live in the age where corruption and brokenness and sin are the reality. But we know where we're going. We'll be in the new creation soon. And I think Paul's saying, start practicing for that age. Start living as those who will be made new and will one day be fully like Jesus. That's what we're to do, I think. Learn to live to be like Jesus. As I finish today, I want to just read to you the last few verses of chapter 12. We're going to read it almost as a prayer for us today as we seek to be more and more transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. Let me read these words to you from the end of verse 12 in chapter 13. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. 
Amen. Thanks, Chris.